In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gave us some instructions to his disciples. He told them to be both salt and light. He said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He also said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light be shined before other men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Join me in the Economic War Room where we're gonna see how we can apply the principle of salt and light to our investing and how doing so might just make our world a better place. Two thousand years ago, Jesus taught his disciples the principles of salt and light. I'd say his insights were pretty powerful as his followers went from a tiny, persecuted group considered an obscure sect of a minority religion to become the dominant force on the planet. Just what does it mean to be salt and light? And how can we apply that to our present circumstances, especially as related to our investments? By now you've learned that many American companies have aligned against your values. That's a sad fact, but the truth nonetheless. We shouldn't be entirely surprised that even American companies that we believe in have been captured by the far left, including iconic brands like Coca-Cola, Amazon, Apple, Starbucks, and Disney. The problem is that these brands are really big parts of our lives and likely big parts of our investment portfolios. So how do you apply the concepts of salt and light? Remember, Jesus told his disciples that it was okay to be in the world, but not of the world. Does that apply with your money? Do we need to spend it a certain way? How about investing? We're going to look at two approaches that at first seem to be opposite, but I think you'll realize that both work together. Both should be used depending on the circumstances. So let's define the terms. Think of salt as a catalyst and also a preservative. Salt can be used to melt things, to change taste, to alter the composition of things, and to slow decay. It can also be an abrasive. For investing, a salt approach can be all of the above, an abrasive catalyst that can help to preserve our way of life. Now think about light. It illuminates, but it also completely separates from the darkness. When you shine the light on something, it allows you to avoid bad things and focus on good things. Using a light approach, you make certain that your spending and investing only go in wholesome directions, in line with your values. Salt and light seem like very different approaches. With salt, you engage the things you might avoid with light. Let me give you an example. The salt approach might have you invest in a woke company that is working against your values so that you can have influence there. Maybe you buy shares in Apple to vote for a better board or to have a voice. With a light approach, though, you might not want to own shares in any company that you disagree with. So you shine the light to see what a company is doing, and if you disagree with their approach, you get out. Here's the thing. We've covered both of these approaches in the Economic War Room and believe that both should be used. We'll tell you just how to do that, working with a trained financial advisor. Let's start with SALT. 
And there's no better way to explain the approach than our friend Justin Danoff of the Free Enterprise Project. Justin was recently a guest in the Economic War Room. Let's play a brief clip. Sure. So first, I want to address um, the knee-jerk reaction of conservatives, because I see it all over my social media feeds, and I think you probably do, too. Whenever a company takes a woke action, like you talked about with Coca-Cola telling their own employees to be less white. By the way, you didn't mention in another slide, they also said, don't appropriate other cultures. So I'm not quite sure how you're supposed to get less white without appropriating another culture. Uh, but that just shows the farce of all of this, right? Um, the knee-jerk reaction is, I'm done. I'm never going to have another Coke again. Um, Nike signs Colin Kaepernick to like an eight-figure deal. Um, he's a cop hater. He's, he's a repugnant person. Oh, I'm done with Nike. Never going to buy him again. Well, guess what? I don't remember the Nike boycott going so well. There is no boycott of Coke right now. So the knee-jerk reaction to remove yourself from the situation and never use the product again, it's never worked. So I don't think it's going to work this next time. So, you know, try and dispel yourself of that idea that you're going to be able to run the best boycott ever because no conservative boycotts ever happened. That, that, that's the first notion. So what do we do instead? Instead, it's a single word. It's engage. It's engage. And if I go back to the boycott idea, the left doesn't boycott either. When they see a company doing something they don't like, they engage more. So again, they're the ones filing all the shareholder resolutions trying to move companies further to the left. They're using their investing dollars again, to try and achieve a social, political, or policy result. Well, can um, you define, I just to interrupt you, define a shareholder resolution, what it is, what it looks like, how you do it, and, and what you can do about it? Sure. So as an investor uh, at, at publicly traded companies, every year, publicly traded companies have to hold an annual shareholder meeting. And at that meeting, there's votes for the board members, there's votes on proposals that the company puts forward, and then there's votes on proposals that the investors put forward. And this is where, even if you aren't you know, comfortable being the activist filing a resolution, that's okay. Why don't you vote on them though, right? Apple held their shareholder meeting you know, February 23rd this year. I think Al Gore, who sits on that board, got about 99% of the vote. Were conservatives voting or did they not show up? What we have at annual shareholder meetings is the equivalent of a red state election that goes blue every single year because the conservatives couldn't be bothered to show up and vote. So at the National Center, at the Free Enterprise Project, we have put together what we call the Investor Value Voter Guide. And this is a toolkit that's free, it's available, you know, come online, nationalcenter.org, and it teaches people of faith and conservative investors how these proxies work and how you can vote your values. And it shows the good resolutions, the handful of good ones that we can put forward um, that, that, that help the culture. And it shows the really, really dangerous proposals put forward by the left that are meant only to corrupt culture and have nothing to do with the bottom line of investors. Um, many of these resolutions would do great harm to investors. And so, you know, that, that's a tool that's free to use. And this year, for the very first time in April, we are going to be putting out a companion guide called Balancing the Boardroom. And this is all about, again, we talked about how there's no balance politically in the large corporations anymore. It's, you know, the, the, these boardrooms lean dramatically to the political left. So we are pointing out the companies that are corrupting culture, but also the specific board members that are corrupting culture. And you can use your money and vote. Use your franchise. 
Voting isn't just once every four years for a presidential candidate and in the off years for Congress. Voting happens thousands of times a year at these company meetings and conservatives need to start showing up. We're our voices, when you remove your voice from the room, it becomes a whole lot easier for the companies to listen to the only voice that's left. And if that's a liberal group, that, that, that's who's there and that's who's agitating companies. We're going to have to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll continue with Justin Danoff explaining how to use the SALT approach in weaponizing your money. Welcome back. We've been talking about the salty approach to weaponizing your money. Really, we're discussing how to agitate companies with our investments. So let's get back to Justin Danoff. He was describing how we can use shareholder proxy votes to get American companies back on track. As a shareholder, you get a vote in how the company is run. But you have to be a shareholder. So here's how it works. When you remove your voice from the room, it becomes a whole lot easier for the companies to listen to the only voice that's left. And if that's a liberal group, that, that, that's who's there. And that's yeah. who's agitating companies. And, and let me jump in on this. We, we all know that Washington has been co-opted by big business. And so your vote actually for the congressman and the president in some ways is less important because big business has captured Washington. So we have to capture big business. We have to take back that authority. And a lot of advisors, uh, just will sign up for these proxy voting services. And the proxy voting services, they'll tell you, you should vote on this and this and this. And, and they've been corrupted as well, haven't they? They're actually, you know, I get this question a lot, Kevin. They, you know, folks ask, what's the silver bullet solution to, you know, the, the quickest way to solve some of these problems? The quickest way would be to end institutional shareholder services as an organization. For those who don't know, a lot of advisors don't, actively vote on these proxy ballots. They use a service called a proxy advisory service. And there's two of them, institutional shareholder services and Glass-Lewis that control 97% of the market, 97% of the market. And they are so far woke, you wouldn't believe it, Kevin. They have never once supported a proposal of mine, never once. And my proposals are meant to help corporations. I've never submitted a proposal that would harm a company's bottom line. The left proposals, um, let's look at one just by way of a clear-cut example. Last year, they supported a proposal at Chevron that asked the company to align its policies with the Paris Climate Accord. A proposal that would mothball the company and its existence, ISS supported that. And guess what? 
a lot of you know advisors that are voting on behalf of their clients and they're relying on ISS's advice, they're not paying attention that the advice has changed. It was a bait and switch. It used to be a good governance organization. Now it leans dramatically to the left on these ESG proposals and they're not, you're doing a great disservice to your clients if you're relying on either ISS or Glass-Lewis and you're not doing your own fiduciary investigations. Justin is a pioneer in the salty approach to investing. Now, let's contrast his approach with another good friend, Art Alley, the founder of the Timothy Funds. Art's approach is best defined as using light to illuminate the areas to avoid, and his approach works really well also. We have a clip from the last time he visited us. What sets us apart is our refusal to own shares in companies that, for lack of a better term, are pursuing an unholy agenda. And when we began, people misunderstood. Oh, you only invest in good companies. Well, we are a biblically responsible company, and scripture is clear, there's none righteous. Right. Not one. Yeah. Uh, and companies are run by people. So what sets us apart is not that we don't invest in passively unrighteous companies. We refuse to own companies that are pursuing an active unholy agenda. And the unholy agenda, I've got some written down here, life, purity, family, marriage, liberty. Tell us about some of those criteria. Well, any company that's involved in abortion, whether it's funding Planned Parenthood, uh, performing abortions, or publicly traded hospital chains, uh, abort efficients, anything in the abortion arena, if they're doing that, we won't You're own excluded. them. You just don't care. deal with it. We yeah. don't care how good they look. Pornography is a big one, and what an addictive uh, thing that is, uh, and a scourge on America. Uh, companies involved in pornography, whether they're producing it, distributing it, we won't own them. Uh, Non-traditional married lifestyles, uh, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual, that is not a biblical principle. And we don't, on any of these, we don't sit in judgment of these people. We don't point our fingers on any of this. You we just, just choose will not, not to invest there. them. Right. And anti-family entertainment. Why would any uh, a Christian investor want to own companies that are trashing Christians? Uh, so we don't own those, as well as the production of alcohol, tobacco, casino gambling. And to screen these out, you use something called an evaluator? What is that? The evaluator is the reporting process. We do the screening in-house. Okay. We do not manage the money in-house. We procure the services of top-tier, best-of-class money management firms in each asset class, but we do the screening. We provide the list we refuse to allow our managers to invest in, no matter how, how they may like the company, and they easily find an alternative to put in that space. What Evaluator does is produces a report, and it's a report that's available to financial advisors all over the country, that they can sit down with the client, uh, find out what their holdings are, find out, hopefully, what their passions are and their convictions are, and if they're convicted against uh, abortion and pornography and those things, they can take their existing mutual funds or direct company stock put it through Evaluator, and it will calculate the amount of money that fund or that company has that's involved in abortion, pornography, non-traditional married lifestyles, or any of the rest of our screens. So that brings me to the point, not a penny. 
you became kind of famous for saying not a penny. Yeah. What did, what did you mean? Well, that was our very first, uh, uh, what are you guys doing? Not a penny goes into companies that are pursuing an unholy agenda. And we had a little booklet with a penny in it. And I remember my first conference I went to to introduce Timothy to an unsuspecting public because they never were thinking like this. Right. And we had these little things with a penny in and some guy comes up and got me and he says, can I have a hundred of those? I think he's going to pass them out. I said, sure, what do you want it for? He said, I'm just trying to get a dollar. <laughs> you, you run into all kinds of things in this business. Yeah, well, Christians and money, that's something that's gone together for a long time. I mean, Jesus talked about money more than anything else that anything. he talked about. And you go uh, in church history, John Wesley had some comments on money. You know, the founder of, modern founder of Methodism uh, and the Wesleyan church. Uh, he said three things about money. Uh, he said, make all you can. He said, save, save. or invest all you can and, and give, give all, you, all can. you can. Yep. That Does Timothy true. plan do those? We do that. All right, so we've heard about both the salt approach and the light approach. Now we're gonna have to take another break, but when we come back, we'll talk about how you can integrate both in your investment portfolio. Welcome back. We've been talking about a salt and light approach to investing. This is a biblical principle. It describes how we can use our investments to impact the culture around us without being corrupted in the process. Salt is a preservative and it's also a catalyst. Think of the term being salty. It's a description of how your investments are designed to bring about needed change and help preserve our culture. When you follow the principle of salt, you use your financial influence to push corporate boards to drop the progressive leftist agenda. By the way, I don't believe that companies have to push a right-wing agenda necessarily. Ideally, I want the companies that I invest in to be neutral in the culture wars, but excellent in their respective business operations. I don't want woke Coke. Neither do I demand that Coke push conservatism. Rather, I'm happy with a politically neutral Coca-Cola serving many happy customers of all political stripes. And that raises an interesting question. We know that Donald Trump won about half the votes in the last election, plus or minus. So why would Coke want to offend half its customers? I can think of four reasons. One, they think it might be economically beneficial. That's a scary one because it means that our free market is dead. Either the company expects favor for supporting a certain agenda, or they believe customers will not be allowed to have a choice. Maybe Pepsi's also woke, and other alternatives won't be allowed to succeed. 
We kind of saw that when Apple, Google, and Amazon all seemed to conspire to eliminate Parler as a social media alternative. The second reason could be that Coke thinks it might be politically beneficial to be woke. That's also scary, as it would suggest our individual liberties are dead or at least dying. Coke would be serving the political powers rather than their consumers. Do you really want your soft drink telling you how to think and act? That's what China might demand, but it is not the American way. The third reason could be that the leadership of Coke is serving its own interests and agenda. That's the most likely answer, as the far left has been able to take over the corporate boardrooms, advertisers, and business partners. So the board, the CEO, the corporate officers, they're no longer serving shareholders. Instead, they're following their own path, and it's up to you to take back your rights as the owner of the company. The fourth reason might be that the leadership really believes that this is what their customers want and their shareholders want. They might really believe that all of America is waiting on them to take us into a new era of enlightenment. If that's the case, then Coke shareholders and customers really need to stand up and shout. We're not all progressive leftists, and we want a good soft drink, not a lecture on how to think. It doesn't really matter which of the four reasons is valid. Maybe it's all four. Regardless, the answer is to be salty. If you really think that our economic and political liberties are dead, then you have to stand up. Likewise, if you think the leadership of a company is pushing their agenda, regardless of the reason, you have to change their minds or make them change their job. It's absurd that a soft drink company is trying to cram their agenda down the throats of their owners and customers. Now, if you don't think the salty approach will have an impact, then you can try going with light. In this case, your job is to expose the corrupt agenda and avoid getting sucked in. This is where you boycott products, sell shares, and look for alternatives to support. Here, you weaponize your spending and investments to promote neutral companies and maybe even companies that support your values. Imagine a freedom soda. Of course, I'd be just as happy with a neutral Coke and Pepsi. But if necessary, we could build an alternative that is just as good as the one captured by the left, but ready to serve the rest of America. If you've been paying attention, you realize that corporate America has gone off the rails and that most Americans are slowly being cooked like a frog in a kettle. You understand that freedom isn't free and has to be fought for, and you know that this is another form of economic warfare being waged against you. The point is this, it's not just one or the other. We need both salt and light to address the corporate capture that's already taken place, and we need to be very serious about it. If you like the Coke brand, then get some shares and fight for it. On the other hand, if you think one cola is just as good as another, then maybe buy the Freedom brand and show your loyalty that way. But here's the problem, you're busy, you have habits, and you don't need to add a corporate crusade to your already full plate. That's why we're here. The economic war room is your war room to equip you to fight. And there's good news. You have the weapon if you're spending and investing, and I know you are. What you really need is someone who can help you fight the good fight. Whether you take a salt or a light approach, there are many financial professionals who can help. In fact, they should be able to do it for you if you invest with them. You know how to tell a realtor the kind of house that you want, and he or she'll go look for it for you. Well, it should be the same idea with your investments. Your financial advisor should be looking to address your needs and wants in your investment portfolio. The problem is, most financial advisors have never even thought about any of this. Too often, they tell their clients what they should want 
rather than listening to them? Here's the answer. We educate the advisor. He or she is the person who should be helping you succeed with your investments, and that includes making certain that your investing reflects your values. So step number one for you as a client is to take a salt and light approach to your advisor. Salt means that you should push your advisor to get economic war room training. You can nominate the person you work with by going to economicwarroom.com forward slash advisor. You give us his or her name and we can reach out about our next training class. We've partnered with Liberty University to provide world-class online education. We offer eight modules of in-depth training that will help your advisor better understand what you want and do a better job communicating with you about that. We also give them the research tools and access to really dive into your portfolio and find where and how your money is invested. With our training, your advisor will also be equipped to do the salty work of checking out the companies to determine if they're too work woke for you and your advisor will be able to vote the proxies on your behalf if you'd like. And where the SALT approach doesn't work, your advisor can identify and screen investments using the LIGHT approach. We've done surveys. A clear majority of investor clients want an advisor who matches with their political and cultural beliefs. Unfortunately, Wall Street is pushing for you to just take what they offer and then they set out to force a leftist agenda on you. If your advisor isn't willing to match your investments with your values, you may need to take a light approach and find a brand new advisor. I can promise you that there are lots of advisors looking for new clients. Now you may be thinking, what difference can my small portfolio make? That's just what Wall Street wants to program into you. Just go along, you have no choice. The reality is, number one, it is your money. Don't let Wall Street bully you. And number two, there are more of us than there are of them. When you take into account that the older generations tend to be more conservative and the older generations also tend to have more money, it becomes apparent that our economic power is very real. Sure, an 18-year-old has the same vote as you, but does that teenager have the same investment portfolio? No way. If we band together, we have a very loud voice. The Economic War Room Training plans to educate 10,000 financial advisors over the next several years that could represent a trillion dollars of investable capital. Now use that with salt and light. That's enough money to change the trajectory of America. That's why we've developed the NSIC Institute, to serve clients who believe in the future of liberty and this great nation. NSIC, National Security Investment Consultant. We believe our money should be weaponized to preserve liberty, security, and values. And when advisors finish our training course, they can join the Institute and work with other like-minded advisors to find new and better solutions for you. This is really revolutionary stuff. It's how we win the economic war already underway. So we've teamed with top experts in multiple fields to get this launched. And it hasn't been easy, especially with the backdrop of a pandemic, social media wars, and a contentious election. But we're finally nearing the launch. We'll summarize all of this in a free economic battle plan for this episode, and you can get access at economicwarroom.com. And don't forget, nominate your financial advisor at economicwarroom.com forward slash advisor. This training is offered by invitation only, so nominating your advisor is the first step. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.